tittle tattling, golden boy. And I'm sure he was probably a little bit proud and a bit arrogant, which we'll look at in a few minutes. By the end of his story, he's completely different and he's completely changed. The circumstances and the situations he goes through shape him and change him. And there's a few steps that I drew out that we, we're going to look at this morning as we walk along his life that I thought are really good for us to be able to walk into. So step number one, embracing the process of change. So we meet him at this point in his life. He's 17. His character is probably not great. His attitudes are probably a bit arrogant. And so he goes through a process of change through his life story, where God uses circumstances and situations which are not good to shape and change and wake him up a little bit. So the first thing I kind of want to share is these words we've had this morning are all very similar, aren't they, to the, the, the kind of the example of Joseph's life, that even through the tough times, the hard times, the stormy seas, God embraces us and leads us, but in that process changes us and encourages us and shapes us for the purpose he calls us to. Humility, I think when we look at Joseph, and we'll touch on it in a, in a minute, he has a crash course in humility that's uh, pretty epic when we, when we kind of see how fast it happens. Oh, oh no. Integrity is the next one. He learns very quickly about having a good character compared to who he is when we first meet him. And then finally, trust in God's sovereignty. And I think if we were to kind of put a tagline over the whole of Joseph's life as to the biggest thing that we can learn, it is that, that God is sovereign in all circumstances and all situations that we go through, whether they're of our own causing, whether they're caused by somebody else or they're caused by circumstances. God is in control. And if he's got a purpose for our life, he's going to lead us into the purpose. But key to us fulfilling that is being willing to change, being humble before God, and being integrous. So we need to learn and we need to grow to enter God's purpose. So let's have a quick look at the story as it kind of pans out. So we, we get a bit of a flavor of who Joseph is. And then we very rapidly get to this point in his life. Now, Joseph had a dream, starting up at uh, verse 5. And when he told it to his brothers, they hated him even more. He said to them, hear this dream that I have dreamed. Behold, we were binding sheaves in the field. And behold, my sheaf arose and stood up. And behold, your sheaves gathered around it and bowed down to my sheaf. And his brothers said to him, are you indeed to reign over us? Are you indeed to rule over us? So they hated him even more for his dreams and his words. Then he dreamed another dream and told it to his brothers and said, Behold, I have dreamed another dream. Behold, the sun, the moon, and the eleven stars are bowing down to me. And the sun represented his father, the moon, his mum, and the stars, his brothers. But when he told it to his father and to his brothers, his father rebuked him, sharply corrected him, and said to him, What is this dream that you have dreamed? Shall I and your mother and your brothers indeed come to bow ourselves to the ground before you? And his brothers were jealous of him, but his father kept saying, kept the saying in his mind. So one of the things I kind of thought about here is that their reaction to these dreams is not positive, is it? So I kind of get this, this kind of picture that here we've got the entitled, spoiled, tittle-tattling, golden voice suddenly having these dreams that were saying to him, 
you are going to be above your brothers, and that's how he understood them, and they're going to bow down to you. This was all about, in Joseph's mind, him having authority and power, and it was about his own self-importance. Then he had another dream, and his parents were included in this, and they also bowed down to him. Now, I, I don't know about you, but if he's already feeling a bit entitled, that's probably going to take it up another level, isn't it? So the reaction is, he got rebuked by his dad. What are you talking about? Don't be so silly. That's not going to happen. And his brothers hated him even more. And so suddenly, we're in this situation where Joseph hasn't done himself any favors at all. The result of which is that his brothers sell him into slavery. I mean, that escalates pretty quickly, doesn't it, in this chapter. So they, he's sent out to go and check on his uh, brothers. They see him coming. And so they basically hatch a plot, which is, let's kill him. And then we'll just tell dad that some beasts got him. And they see him coming towards them. And Reuben, the younger brother, says, no, 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 let's not kill him. Let's throw him into that pit. He had a plan to try and get him out later. Throw him into that pit. And then, you know, we'll, we'll tell dad he's gone missing. He's died or something. And so that's what they do. They chuck him in a pit when, they, when he gets to them. And they go back. And uh, no, they don't. They sit down to have lunch. That's what they do. They throw their brother in a pit. And they all have lunch. I mean, that's how much they hated him. Get rid of him. Have lunch. All things are good now. Um, and whilst they're having lunch, they spot a bunch of Ishmaelite slave traders, a caravan of them, heading across the part, wherever they are, the desert. And they suddenly come up with an idea. Let's take his coat and let's sell him into slavery. And that's exactly what they do. They hate him so much. They hate who he is. They hate everything about him, his character, his personality, his attitude, his arrogance, his pride, the dreams that he's had. Well, let's just shut all that down. We'll sell him into slavery. And that's what they do. Sell him to these Ishmaelite slavers. And then they take the coat, they kill a goat, they dip the coat in the goat's blood, they go back to dad and say, oh no, look what's happened. And dad is so distraught, he tears his clothes and he refuses to be comforted by any of his family. So when I say it escalated quickly, it escalated pretty quickly. Um, and then poor Joseph is suddenly tied to the back of a camel and on his way to Egypt. So who Joseph was reveals that he was not ready to handle God's purpose for his life. What's really interesting is at this stage, with all of his character flaws, with all of his issues, with all of his attitudes, God revealed to him the purpose of his life. But Joseph was not mature enough to recognize or interpret what that purpose was. He interpreted it through the lens of his own pride and his own arrogance, and he assumed it was for his benefit and for his authority or his you know, it was all for him. So he was not ready. He was a snitch. He was spoiled. He was not well liked. And the dreams for his own benefit, he saw them through the lens of his current character and outlook. Which is why God takes us after we give our lives to him and he takes us through a process where he changes who we are so that we become more Christ-like. So we see things as he sees things. And so what God does here in, in the story of Joseph is he takes this opportunity where Joseph is suddenly sold into slavery to begin a process of change, a process of challenging him, a process of self-reflection for Joseph to be able to prepare him so that he can actually fulfill and understand God's purpose for him. And the next time we see Joseph, he's very different. So he failed to change and dismiss the signs he needed to. So I think if we think about our calling and our purpose, there might be times in our life where we just have to stop and take check of who we are and what we've become. And I think Paul says at one point, do a sober estimation of who you are and that you're in the faith. 
And we sometimes have to just stop and ask ourselves the tough questions, don't we? And Joseph was failing to do this. Joseph was failing to recognize that nobody spoke nicely about him. That would have been an indicator that he probably needed to change. He didn't recognize that his tittle-tattling was causing people to have bad feeling about him. And again, he wasn't doing himself any favors. The result was he was hated. He was not recognizing how people were responding to him. And he was failing to learn from his father's rebuke. So when you see all these kind of indicators here that we see in those very first few chapters, we recognize that Joseph had an opportunity to change if he just stopped and thought a little bit. He recognized what was going on around him, but he didn't do that. And so Joseph had to learn the hard way to be prepared for God's purpose. And that's the hard way. It was the back end of the camel. Because that is what I likely think he was tied to by the slave traders and walked all the way from where they were in Canaan to Egypt. It was at the back end of a camel that he probably had to do some thinking. I don't know about you, but if you ever end up looking at the back end of a camel in your life, it's probably a good time to stop and do some reflection, isn't it? If you're staring at the back end of a camel, something's gone wrong. And for Joseph, that's exactly what happened. He probably started off thinking, I'm so angry, I'm so cross, how can my brothers do that? I had this dream, they were going to bow at my feet, and here I am, tired, looking at the backside of a camel, being dragged to the desert. And I'm sure he went through that anger, and he was bitter for a while, but then the anger probably subsided, because he's just still left on his own, staring at the back end of the camel. And maybe he got through that angry bit, and he started to do a bit of self-reflection. Maybe he started to realize, oh, actually, maybe... My attitudes weren't so good, and that's why my brothers didn't like me. Because when you're suddenly stripped of everything that you have and you're left on your own, suddenly we're in that position where we have to look inwardly, don't we? And we start to think about how we think and our characters and how people respond to us. And so that, I think, is the process that Joseph goes through, a bit of a crash course, really, in humility. So we see a different Joseph when we next meet him in uh, two chapters time in verse 39 in chapter 39 so what we find out about him let's have a look let's go there now joseph had been brought down to egypt and potiphar an officer of pharaoh the captain of the guard an egyptian had brought him from the ishmaelites who had brought him down there the lord was with joseph and he became a successful man and he was in the house of his egyptian master his master saw that the lord was with him and that and that the lord caused all that he had to succeed in his hands so Joseph found favor in his sight and attended him. And he made him overseer of his house and put him in charge of all that he had. From the time that he made him overseer in his house and over all that he had, the Lord blessed the Egyptian's house for, God, for Joseph's sake. The blessing of the Lord was on all that he had in house and field. So he left all that he had in Joseph's charge. And because of him, he had no concern about anything but the food he ate. I mean, Potiphar was on to a pretty good deal there, wasn't he? And we can suddenly see there's a huge change that's happened to Joseph here, can't we? Massive change to when we last meet him when he was 17. God was with him and he was successful in what he was doing because God was blessing him. He found favor in Potiphar's eyes. He was liked and he was respected. Very different to everybody hating him and being jealous and you know, talking negatively about him behind his back. He was put into a trusted position overseeing everything in Potiphar's home and field. It's like he was in charge here and, you know, other than being Potiphar himself. Potiphar was carefree because of Joseph. He had absolute trust in who Joseph was and his character at this point in the story of Joseph that he didn't have a care in the world 
people to get up, do his thing. All he had to worry about was was there dinner at the end of the day. That's literally what it says here uh, regarding Potiphar. So what made the change? Let's zoom in. The back end of a camel. You know, sometimes when we don't learn the lessons that God is teaching us, because we don't recognize the impact we might be having on the people around us, or we might not recognize the lessons that God is trying to show us through his word or through circumstances, sometimes God will allow very difficult situations to get our attention and to humble us. It's that point where we have to stop and look and pay attention. And that's exactly what happened to Joseph. He failed to learn. But God allowed him to be sold into slavery to present him with who he was and who he'd become, to do some self-reflection, to take a look at himself and make some changes. And I just wonder, along this process, whether he started to think about that, those two dreams he had, started to think about his dad, Israel. He would have heard the stories of his dad's faith and how God had done miraculous things. He might have started to think about how actually who he'd become looked nothing like that. Maybe staring at the backside of a camel, he made the decision, God, what have I done? Who have I become? I want to change. God will use difficult circumstances that feel out of our control to humble us and to bring us to a place where we have nothing else and no one else to trust in but God. And it can be uncomfortable and it can be tough and it, be it can be hard. But God does it for a purpose and a reason. So the first kind of learning point here is we need to be willing to change. We need to be willing as we read scripture and God shows us who he calls us to be, to make those changes, to be Christ-like, to deal with bad attitudes or behaviors or sinful patterns of our past so that we become more like Christ. But when we don't do that, Sometimes what happens is we then end up learning the hard way when we suddenly run into the back end of a camel and it stops us and we have to stop. So we need to be willing to embrace the process of change. Because in that process, God prepares us. So here are the two changes we see. Humility, and this is from Proverbs 3 verse 5. Trust in the Lord with all your heart and do not lean on your own understanding in all your ways acknowledge him and he will make straight your paths. We can see when Joseph gets to Potiphar's house that he's gone through a process where suddenly he's actually trusted God. He's leaning on God. He's got nothing else. He's got no one else. No family, no friends, sold into slavery. And we can see that there's a change in him that in all his ways he acknowledges God. And we certainly see that when we have a look at the next few verses, let me just read them. Now, Joseph was handsome in form and appearance. And after a time, his master's wife cast her eyes on Joseph and said, oh, why with me? But he refused and said to his master's wife, behold, because of me, my master has no concern about anything in the house and has put everything that he, that he has in my charge. He is not greater in this house than I am, nor has he kept back anything from me except you, because you are his wife. How then can I do this great wickedness and sin against God and as Joseph and as she spoke to Joseph day after day he would not listen to her to lie beside her or to be with her 
we suddenly see that he's trying to acknowledge God in all his ways. Because he says, who would I be to do this and sin against God? Suddenly he's now wanting to walk in a way that is honouring before his father. And so too we are called to walk in a way that is honouring to God. And that's the first step of humility. I don't know. It's, it's a place of coming to admitting, you know what God, you're totally in charge. You know who I am. You know my purpose. You know my calling. If I try and work it out in my way, I can't. I need you to show me. I need you to lead me. It's complete acknowledgement that God is in charge. God knows the way, as John brought that third That he is in it with us, as Ruth shared, in the difficult times. That in this process, Joseph came to know who God was. And look at this. He will make straight your paths. He blessed Joseph and everything Joseph was doing. To the point that Potiphar saw, this is a man of God here. There we go, and integrity. He's a good-looking guy, and Potiphar saw it. So Potiphar's trying it on. Potiphar's wife's trying it on. Every day, coming up to him, lie with me, lie with me. Come on, come and sleep with me. And he's having none of it. None of it at all. He's like, no, 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 I'm not doing this. My master's put me in, in a place of trust. I will, not, I will not break that trust. I do not want to sin against my God. I'm not doing it, Potiphar. And he tried to avoid her, and he tried to keep out of her way. May integrity and uprightness preserve me, for I wait for you, Psalm 25, 21. That he'd learnt being integrous brought the favour of God upon him. That not all things are in our control. Help, help, Joseph attacks my clenched fist with his robe. The original desperate housewife, Joseph's refusal of Potiphar's wife and her lusty attempts to make him her boy toy left her with nothing but his garment and her lies to tell. You see, there's a situation when she, she tries it on with him. She grabs hold of his garment. She's like, she's going to force him now. You're going to lie with me. And what Joseph does is he slips out of his robe and he pegs it. He literally becomes the first streaker in scripture. He pegs it out of a house completely naked and he runs. He's having none of it. He runs from sin, literally runs from it. Sexual sin. He was going nowhere near it. He ran. And what does Potiphar do? She's holding his robe. She can't have him, so no one else is. She starts screaming for the guards. He's tried it on with me. He's tried to rape me. He's tried to lie with me. And uh, it gets back to Potiphar. And Potiphar completely believes the lies. He's furious. This man that I put in trust over my whole, whole household has tried it on with my wife. And he has him thrown into prison. Not any old prison. The prison of prisons. It was where Pharaoh, or the king of Egypt, put like his worst criminals. That's where he gets thrown. So suddenly Joseph is in this situation where he's gone from slavery and God has elevated him back up to a position of trust and authority where he's learned humility and integrity and he's walking and he's doing all the right things. So there are sometimes times in life where we are doing all the right things. We're honouring God, we're praying, we're reading our Bible, we're seeking to be integrous, we're making good decisions, we're in good relationship, but then situations and circumstances can happen that regardless of that, it results in a bad result. And in this circumstance, it was the lies of Potiphar's wife. And he's gone from that position straight back down to being shoved in a prison cell on his own again, stripped of everything that he had gained from serving Potiphar. Potiphar. 
this is what we learn whilst he's in prison. As soon as his master heard these words, his wife spoke to him. This is the way your servant treated me. His anger was kindled. And Joseph's master took him and put him into the prison, the place where the king's prisoners were confined. And he was there in prison. But the Lord was with Joseph and showed him steadfast love and grace. He gave him favor in the sight of the keeper of the prison. The keeper of the prison put Joseph in charge of all the prisoners who were in the prison. Whatever was done, he was the one who did it. And the keeper of the prison paid no attention to anything that was in Joseph's charge because the Lord was with him. And whatever he did, the Lord made made it successful. What we see is Joseph continues being Joseph despite what's happened to him. And so we learn from this point, maintain who you are when things go wrong. He'd learned that humility and integrity and trust in God equaled God's favor and blessing. And he believed the Lord and, it count, and he counted it to him as righteousness. And the, prison guard, the, the, the captain of the prison guard saw it. He saw the favor of God. And he went from being a prisoner back up to a position of being in charge of all of the prisoners and everything in that prison. He knew the steadfast love and grace as he maintained pursuing God in the tough times. There was favor. God made Joseph a success. Sometimes when we hit hard times and circumstances outside of our control buffet us and hit us, it's really easy to go to ground, isn't it? And get angry and get cross and get bitter and give up doing the right things and pursuing the godly things. Well, the story of Joseph tells us, don't do that. Keep on pushing on in the tough times, in the difficult times. Because in it, we come to learn more of God's heart for us, his love, his favor, his blessing. And we begin to learn that God can do more than we can imagine, even if we're in the difficult, difficult situations in our life. And then something happens by divine appointment. I'm going to quickly go through this one because of time. Uh, The chief baker and the cupbearer of Pharaoh get thrown into prison. Pharaoh's, uh, and both of them have dreams. And suddenly, by divine appointment, there is a man in the prison who can interpret dreams that are given by God, Joseph. And so he interprets the two men's dreams. And pretty much the baker's dream meant you're going to die in three days. Pharaoh's going to chop your head off. Sorry about that. That's what God's saying. Then number two is the cupbearer. In three days, you're going to be restored to your position. And when you're restored, Joseph says, remember me. Remember me. Because I'm here as a stranger. I was a Hebrew taken out of my country. and I've done nothing to deserve being here. Remember me when you're before Pharaoh. And that comes true. He ends up being restored to his position before Pharaoh. And then there's another divine appointment. Pharaoh has a dream. He has two dreams. And to paraphrase those dreams, they go like this. I saw seven fat cows, and they were eaten by seven skinny cows. Then I had another dream. I saw really ripe corn, and then I saw another stick of corn that was blighted by the east uh, winds, and they ate the good corn. And no one could interpret this dream. And then suddenly the cupbearer, this has been two years' time, so for two years, Joseph's been forgotten about in prison. Suddenly the cupbearer goes, oh, hang on a minute. There was a Hebrew in prison. He can interpret dreams. I'll go and get him. And so he's brought to Pharaoh, and Joseph interprets the dreams. And basically says, you're going to have seven years of plenty. And then it's going to be swallowed up by seven years of famine. And not only that, Joseph goes on to say, and this is what you need to do. In the seven years of plenty, you need to plan for the seven years of famine. You need to start gathering food, storing it, putting it away. And because of the wisdom that he demonstrates, Pharaoh, like that, elevates him from being a prisoner to the governor of the entire land of Egypt. 
just like that. Phenomenal. God's intervention in the difficult circumstance established Joseph. And it was at this point that Joseph probably understood what those original few dreams meant that he had when he was a child. But they were not for him. Maybe they were bigger than him. He understood that in all of what had happened in his life, the good, the bad, the situations, the circumstances that are out of his control, God was using it to expose the flaws on the inside of him so that he could grow and he could change and become prepared to handle the call of God on his life. And towards the end of the story, his brothers uh, and his father run out of food. And so they're sent to Egypt. And they end up coming before Joseph, not realizing who Joseph was. And they bow down before Joseph and they beg for food. And Joseph suddenly realizes the reason why I've been put here was not so that I could have you know, control and power and authority over my family. It was actually so I can serve and rescue my family from the situation of the famine. So it was not you who sent me here, he says to his brothers, but God. He has made me a father to Pharaoh and lord of all his house and ruler over all the land of Egypt. And at the end of the story of Joseph, he says this, As for you, brothers, you meant evil against me, but God meant it for good, to bring it about that many people should be kept alive as they are today. He came to realize those two dreams that he thought were for him, for his betterment, were actually bigger than for him. It was for his brothers, his family. It was for a remnant. It was also to bring the pe- God's people into the land of Egypt as God had planned it and ordained it back in, earlier in Genesis. And he suddenly realized the plan of God was not for me. So every single person in this room has got a call, a purpose that God has for your life. And that purpose is not just for you. I think it's fair to say that you would benefit from it, absolutely. Joseph was blessed, he was successful. He was trusted, he was put in a position of trust. But actually, it's bigger than for you. It is for the people around you. It is for the people that you meet in your workplace. It's for your families, it's for your friends. The purpose of God is to help people come to realize the beauty and the love of God. Because people who met Joseph said the same thing, didn't they? You can see that the spirit of God is upon you. You can see he blesses all you do. And they were benefiting from it. Sorry, I'm just trying to explain that. God was working in all things to prepare Joseph. God had fulfilled Joseph and Joseph, uh, Joseph and Joseph understood it was for God's people. That was his dream. And he was able to forgive his brothers because he suddenly understood the big picture. He was able to forgive because he understood that it was because of the sovereignty of God that that all happened. And in it, he was, pre- he was prepared for the, for the big picture of his life. And serving in his position for God's purpose, not his own. So the steps of faith that are demonstrated in Joseph's life are these. Humble yourself before God. Walk with integrity. Be willing to change. Trust in God's sovereignty in all things. He is in charge. As we sang it earlier, he works all things for our good. All things for the good of those who love him. I don't know what circumstances and situations you're facing at the moment. Some of you might be going through some tough things. Could be work, could be home, could be life in general. 
can be out of your control. But I want to encourage you this morning, embrace the process that God is working in you through those situations and circumstances. Don't lose sight that God is in charge. He knows what he's doing in your life. Humble yourself. Seek after him. Keep walking with integrity in those circumstances, in those situations, because in it, God is preparing you for your tomorrow. God is preparing you for your tomorrow. It might be tough and it might be hard. You might be staring at the back end of a camel, but trust God. He is working it to your good. He is working it to prepare you. He is sovereign and he's in charge of your life. Amen. Why don't we pray? Father God, thank you that you are sovereign. Thank you that you are in charge. That no situation or circumstance, either by our own causing or that of circ- outside of our control, causes you to freak out in heaven because you know exactly what you're doing in our lives. For each and every single one of us, I really pray that you would continue the process that you're working in our lives through the good things and the bad things to shape us and to prepare us for the purposes you have for us. Thank you that you've sent your Holy Spirit through Jesus, who is our comforter, who draws close to us in those difficult times. And I really pray that you would tangibly reveal the comforter to those people who are going through tough times right now, that they would know your presence, your comfort, in the dark place, whether it's the back end of a camel or a prison cell. Father, I pray for those of us who've been hurt by people. Ask, Lord, that you would give us the strength to forgive them, that we would be released from the hurt and the bitterness, and we can move more into the purposes you have for us. Father, I thank you that none of it's wasted good things, bad things. And I thank you that you're working it all for the good of those who love you. In Jesus' name. Amen. Now, if there is anything that is on your heart and you want to respond to the message, you know, come and chat to me, chat to somebody who's trusted that around your table. Share your heart if you're struggling with stuff. Get people to pray with you, okay? Uh, if there's somebody that you know you need to forgive and you need some help, talk to people. Come and chat to myself or one of the other uh, team members around. Or grab somebody near you and we can help you with that. And just on a word of forgiveness, um, I know it can be really hard, but with God's help, forgiveness is possible and it's actually really freeing for you. It doesn't mean you need to be reconciled to the person. It's about you letting go and moving forward with God. So please come and come and chat. And uh, I'm going to close the meeting at this point. If you've got children, please don't forget them. Uh, go grab them from Kids Church. Um, hang around, catch up, um, chat to each other. Have a blessed afternoon.